10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. And welcome to another edition of the DJ Sports Show. This is now episode 25. Wow, that's crazy. And this this episode, we're going to talk about anime. week seven NFL takeaways. There's been a kind of a delay because I've been doing the Michael Jordan episode, which y'all should go tune into of my new series I'm going to do every two weeks or so. It's not going to be every week. We're at great, talk about the greatest players of all time. And then I was doing an interview with another athlete from Colwell University. So that's why. I was kind of delayed in uh, and doing the week seven NFL takeaways in this episode. But yeah, this episode we're talking about week seven NFL takeaways. Uh, Andy Dolan got hurt in week seven. The Cowboys. We're gonna talk about Steven Silas getting hired by the Houston Rockets. Daryl Morey going to the Philadelphia 76ers as a GM, and so on and so forth. So yeah. So first off, we're gonna talk about NFL. So NFL week seven takeaways. You had the Giants. They lost to the Eagles, 22-21. I talked about that in an earlier episode, so we're just going to go into the games I took notes on. So the Buccaneers versus Raiders. So Brady was having an amazing game all game. He threw for four touchdowns on 369 yards, completing 33 of his 45 passes, looking like the old Brady with a QBR rating of 88. He was looking really good in that game, man. And the Raiders, the Raiders been playing really good this season. Like, they've been, they've been looking better than usual. And... Like they 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 really they really been doing their thing, and Brady Brady was having another masterful masterful game. Uh, Derek Carr he threw to Nelson Aguilar midway through the first to take a seven zero lead for the Raiders, and then later on in the game Brady would do a QB sneak his signature QB sneak to put the Buccaneers on board to tie the game seven to seven. The Raiders would then hit a field goal take a ten to seven lead. And then Brady threw, threw the, he threw to multiple guys all night throughout the game. He used many different weapons and throws. He had one to Gronkowski for a touchdown to take a 14-10 lead at the 4-minute, 21-minute mark of the second quarter. He threw, threw to Scott Miller for a Hail Mary and later on in the game, taking a 21-10 lead before the half. And then the Buccaneers were going to hit a field goal to make it 24-10. Derek Carr, he was not shabby himself throughout the game. He threw for 284 yards, two touchdowns for one interception, completing 24 of his 36 passes. Carr threw another touchdown to Darren Walker to make it 24-17 bucks. The Raiders hit, and then the Raiders were going to hit a 36-yard field goal to, what's it called, to make it 24-20. Again, like they were putting pressure on the Buccaneers at that point. But then the Buccaneers, oh man, they were going on a 21-0 run in the fourth quarter. 21-0 run in the fourth quarter alone. And he threw a touchdown to Chris Godwin to push the lead 31-20. And Chris Godwin now, he's out with an injury. He hasn't been healthy really all season. He's missed more than half the games. But if once they get him healthy and they're going to add Antonio Brown in week nine or so, oh my God, that passing attack and Gronkowski... And Scotty, oh man, they have so much talent on that team. He has so many weapons, more than he did last year on the Patriots. To Brady, Brady got some weapons now, bro. But yeah, so Carr, he threw for a crucial interception midway in the fourth, which led to a Ronald Jones touchdown, pushing the lead to 38-20. to And then Brady throws a dime to Tyler Johnson to cap off his amazing game for 45-21 for the Buccaneers to improve their record to 5-2 on the season. And the Raiders, they really struggled offensively. They rushed only for 76 yards all game 
and only passed for 270 on yards in the game. So the Raiders, the Raiders, yes, they've been looking like they've been looking okay throughout the season, but they're kind of like they're in the middle. They're in the middle of the pack. They're not. They're not an elite offensive team or an elite elite defensive team, but they're solid on both ends, in my opinion. And they just they just didn't have enough to to beat the to beat the Buccaneers, man. It just didn't. It just didn't at all. Aguilar. He rushed for 107 yards, one touchdown on five receptions. Derek Carr threw for an interception. They just didn't have enough throughout the whole game. The Buccaneers had more total yards, 454 to 347, more first downs, 21 to 19. And they just took control of the game and and, and did what they had to do. But the next game I want to get into is the Cowboys versus Washington football team. And there's a lot of drama with the Cowboys. This is, this is week seven. So... Antonio, so start off the game, Antonio Gibson, he runs for 40 yards against the sorry Cowboys defense. The Cowboys defense has been one of the worst defenses all season long. How do you start off the game and allow this dude to run for 40 yards? Tell me. Oh my, like, come on, man. And especially after the last couple of weeks when they've really been struggling and they've been losing games. How does that not motivate you to want to come out and put pressure on the opponent right away. So yeah, so let's get through my notes. So the Dalton, Andy Dalton, he gets sacked midway through the first, and the Washington football team gets a safety to take a 2-0 lead on the Cowboys. So the Cowboys got shut down all game long. They only scored three points the whole game. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the Washington football team is not that good. They're one of the worst teams in the league. The Cowboys scored three points on this team all game long. They didn't even score a single touchdown. Are you kidding me? This is it's pathetic. Ezekiel Elliott, he was terrible throughout the game. He had 12 carries, only rushed for 45 yards. He dropped some passes. He's he's been playing terrible this season. And he hasn't looked like he really, like I said earlier in early episodes I've made, he has not looked like the Ezekiel Elliott we saw his first three years in his career. First three first first couple years in his career. This year and last year, he has really like even from last year, he regressed. He has really regressed. Mari Cooper only had seven receptions for 80 yards. Andy Dalton only threw, completed nine of his 19 passes for 75 yards and one interception. He was terrible all game two. Kyle Allen, he threw for two touchdowns, 194 yards, completing 15 of his 25 passes. Antonio Gibson, like I mentioned earlier, he rushed for 20 carries off for 128 yards on that one touchdown. And yeah, like, what's it called? The Washington football team, they, they pretty much manhandled this Cowboys team. These teams are both sorry, don't get me wrong. But they just made the Cowboys look like one of the four worst teams in the entire NFL. The Cowboys got shut down all game long. They only scored three points, like I mentioned before. And only a total of 142 yards all game long. That's combining rushing and passing. That is atrocious. Atrocious, man. Antonio, so Gibson, he carves through the Dallas defense to score the first touchdown of the game, putting Washington up... Washington up nine to nothing, and then Kyle Allen he threw to Terry McLaurin to take a fifteen three lead on the Cowboys. Then Kyle Allen will also throw later on in the game to Logan Thomas for a touchdown near the end of the second to take a twenty two three lead near the half. The Cowboys couldn't get anything going in the passing game, only throwing for fifty nine yards all game and rushing only eighty three yards. That's that. That's oh my god. 
Elliott has had fumbling problems all season long and looks like he has regressed considerably from his early years, like I mentioned before. And then the Washington football team will hit a field goal to win the game 25-3 to in an ugly showdown and display of football by the Cowboys. And then Andy Dalton also got a concussion in the game and his teammates didn't pick him up, man. They didn't pick him up. That 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 is the optimum, the prime example of what is wrong this team, wrong with this team. There's no chemistry, there's no leadership. With Dak Prescott being out, it shows like I feel like this situation magnifies what Dak Prescott means to this franchise and what he means to the team. He's he's not um, okay. He's not Mahomes level quarterback or Lamar Jackson or Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers, but he's still a really good quarterback and he's a great leader. And I feel like ever since he went down with that daunting injury in like what week four which has been like almost a month now he 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 has this team has really has fallen flat on their face and especially in a leadership standpoint and it's just it's just sad to see this team has so much talent but they have no leadership to galvanize the guys and put them together to lead their team to wins Ezekiel Elliott hasn't taken that mantle Andy Dolan got hurt he's out with concussion and now they're saying uh, he's on the COVID or he's on the reserve COVID nineteen list and will be out for week nine versus Steelers. I just want to say that now instead of waiting for the next episode where I talk about week eight NFL takeaways. But yeah, Andy Dalton's out, so that's 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 something different. Um, so let's get into the next game. But yeah, the Cowboys the Cowboys have a big mess and they're projected to have a top five pick in this year's NFL draft because that's how sorry they've been, man. They're one of the worst worst teams in the league. They might not be as bad as the Jets. The Jets are on a whole entirely different level of atrociousness and their abomination. But the Jets, Giants, Cowboys, Washington football team, Jaguars, those are some of the worst teams in the league, man. So let's get into the next game I want to talk about. So the 49ers versus Patriots. Jeffrey Wilson was a monster in the game. Um, He rushed for 112 yards and 17 carries for three touchdowns. Um, Wilson, he scored a touchdown to put San Francisco up 7 to nothing. And Garoppolo, he threw an interception late in the first, but the Patriots couldn't get anything going offensively by not scoring a touchdown all game. The rookie, Brandon Ayuk, put pressure on the Patriots' defense all game in the passing game, rushing for 115 yards on six receptions. The 49ers hit a field goal to take a 10-3 lead, but then San Francisco scores a touchdown again to take a 16-3 lead. And man, the Cam Newton, man, has ever since he contracted COVID-19, he looked flat when I was watching the game. He looked flat, tired, out of sorts all game. He looked out of shape. He just looked lost, man. He hasn't looked the same since he contracted the COVID-19 virus. He has played horrible outside the first, like, two or three weeks of the season. He threw for three interceptions in the game, had off-target throws, and his mechanics seemed off. He just seemed to lack confidence in his game and make his decision-making. So uh, Wilson, Wilson then throws again. Jeffrey Wilson then runs again for another touchdown to take a commanding 23-3 lead on the Patriots. And then he scores another touchdown later on, but gets injured in the play to take a 36 lead on the third. And man, how the 49ers been married by injuries this season, man. Um, the 49ers hit a field goal early in the fourth to take a 33-6 lead, exposing the Patriots' atrocious defense and lack of elite talent in offense. And then Matt Harris and Tavarius Moore for the 49ers were a force on the defensive end for the 49ers. They each had five tackles throughout the game. They were both looking amazing. And, like, the 49ers, they still, despite all the injuries they've had this season, they've still been pretty decent. The record, they're still over 500. And that's saying something. That is really saying something. I think their record, I think they're, what, 4-3, and three, if I'm not mistaken. Like, 
that's really saying something to be over 500 with the injuries they have contracted this season and have obtained on this team. They're what, four and three on the season. They're over 500. That's crazy. But other scores around the league. So Falcons lost to the Lions 23 to 22 in a nail biter. Man, the Falcons say this shit. Oh, my God. They purposely scored a touchdown and gave the Lions a chance to win the game, get in the field goal range, and win the game. Oh, my God. Matthew Stafford was amazing. He threw for 340 yards, a touchdown, completing 25 of his 36 passes. Matt Ryan had one touchdown, threw for 31, completed 31 of his 42 passes on 338 yards. Todd Gurley had 23 carries for 63 yards on two touchdowns. And the Lions, Falcons had a big second quarter scoring 14 of the 22 points. But then they went scoreless in the first and third quarter. And the Lions had a big fourth quarter scoring, outscoring them 10 to 8 to take a a 23-22 win over the the um, Falcons. And they had they were very close in total yards, only two-yard difference. Total yards, the Detroit Lions had 386 yards in the game, while the Falcons had 388. And the Falcons had 26 first downs throughout the game. The Detroit Lions had 21. So the Browns beat the Bengals, 37-34. Baker Mayfield had, after he had a first, that first quarter or so, where he had no completions, he was looking terrible. And this game, um, Aldo Beckham tore his ACL. He came back, had a monster game, completed, ended up completing 22 of his 28 passes for 297 yards on five touchdowns and one interception. Joe Burrow, the ro- amazing rookie who has been looking fantastic, straight up fantastic. He completed 35 of his 47 passes for 406 yards and three touchdowns on one interception. And man, Joe Burrow, him and Justin Herbert, I'm telling you, I've been saying this since the beginning of the season. Him and Joe Justin Herbert have been are battling out, battling it out for offensive rookie of the year. It's it's down to those two, man. It's not even close. It's not even close. Those two, I know they're on bad teams right now. They're on bad franchises, but man, they have been looking special. Tyler Boyd, he he received eleven passes for one hundred one yards and a touchdown. And the Browns, it's the fourth quarter that made a big difference for them. The Bengals. They pretty much, they had a 17-10 lead going into the half, and they only scored three points in the third quarter, which ended up hurting them And then, But the fourth quarter, they scored 14 points, but the Browns came in offensively and really attacked in the fourth quarter, scoring 20 of the 37 points to give them a 37-34 lead to win the game on the Bengals. And their record is now 5-2 and two of the season. But I don't want to put too much stock on Baker Mayfield playing well against the Bengals because they're one of the worst teams in the league as well. And... He he has not really looked good against elite teams. He's only really played good against like the Bengals in his career, like they mentioned on the, in the media, and he really plays well against the bad teams. The Steelers beat the Titans twenty-seven to twenty-four. They're the only undefeated team left in the NFL with a six-nothing record. Uh, the Tennessee Titans are five and one in the season. Ben Roethlisberger had two hundred sixty-eight yards on thirty clean, thirty-two of his forty-nine passes, two touchdowns, but he had three interceptions. Man. He was lucky his team got out with a win. Derrick Henry had 20 carries for 75 yards and a touchdown in this game. A.J. Brown had 153 yards on six receptions and one touchdown. And Ryan Tannehill completed 18 of his 30 passes for 220 yards and two touchdowns. The second quarter is, is what made the big difference for the Steelers, where they had scored 17 points because they went scoreless in the fourth quarter. 
even though the Titans score were scoreless in the first quarter, but they scored seven points in the second, ten in the third, and seven in the fourth. But ultimately, it wasn't enough because the Steelers had a dominant offensive showing in the second quarter to take a 27-24 lead, a 24 uh, win over the Titans. Uh, I'm just going to go through the rest of the games quickly. Saints beat the Panthers 27-24. The Jets lost to the Bills 18-10. Jets are still the only one this team in the league. They're 0-8 on the season now. Packers beat the Texans 35 to 20. Buccaneers won. Oh, yeah, I already said that. 45 to 20. Chiefs beat the Broncos 43. They dismantled them 43 to 16. 49 is Patriots 33 6. Like I mentioned before, Chargers beat the Jaguars 39 to 29. Justin Herbert looked amazing again, completing 27 to 43 passes for three touchdowns, 347 yards. He even rushed for some. He rushed for a touchdown. He rushed for nine carries, 66 yards. So he showed. His versatility, not just in the passing game, but also he could run the football too a little bit. Uh, Minshew, for the, the quarterback for the Jaguars, who are also one of the worst teams in the league, one in six of the season, had two touchdowns, completing 14 of 27 passes on 173 yards. Um, they, uh, James Robinson, he rushed for 22 carries on 119 yards and a touchdown. And yeah, the the Chargers finally got a dub. I think Justin Herbert's first win of the season as a starter, and they're now two and four in the season. They had a a dominant third quarter, scoring twenty points to the Jaguars fifteen. Jaguars when he went scoreless the first and last quarter, the fourth quarter, and but in the second and third they scored fourteen in the second, fifteen in the third. But going scoreless in the beginning of the game and end of the game really cost them the game. And end up losing to the Chargers 39-29. And then, yeah, the Seahawks in a classic game. Lost to the Cardinals 37-34. Russell Wilson, man. DK Metcalf really struggled in this game. He wasn't DK Metcalf that we're used to seeing. Russell Wilson had three touchdowns, but he also had three interceptions. The most interception he's thrown in a game, and he hasn't had that many combined leading up to that point all season. He had 388 yards, completing 33 of his 50 passes for 66% completion. And uh, Kyle Murray, he completed 34 of his 48 passes for 360 yards and three touchdowns and one interception. And he even rushed for a touchdown, 14 carries and 67 yards. Man, the Seahawks started off the game strong. They had 27-17 lead going to the half. But then they went scoreless in the third quarter and in overtime. The Cardinals put a touchdown in the third quarter, scored 10 in the fourth, and had a field goal in the overtime to take a 37-34 win from the Seahawks, giving them their only loss of the season. And Arizona Cardinals improved the record of 5-2 and two of the season. In the last game of Week 7, the Rams beat the Bears 24-10. So those, those are the Week 7 NFL takeaways. Next up, I'm going to quickly get into my NFL Week 8 takeaways so we could get catch up and to think of things with Week 9 approaching. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with my NFL Week 8 takeaways and so on and so forth. Stay tuned.
Looks like they picked the wrong getaway driver. They'll be paying for this for a long time. They will, but with accident forgiveness. Allstate won't raise your rates just because of an accident, even if it's your fault. Cut! Sonny. Is that good? Line! The desert never lies. Isn't that what I said? Uh, no, you were talking about Allstate and insurance. I just want to... Let's try again. I'm ready back to one. Accident forgiveness from Allstate. Click or call for a quote today. <clears throat> so, yes. To catch up with the NFL, we're going to do a week eight NFL takeaways. I'm going to do it now instead of waiting for next week's show so we could catch up with what's going on in the NFL and the think of things. So, first game I want to talk about is the Chiefs and Jets. Man, oh man. The Jets are, like I keep saying, they are pathetic. The Jets had a total of 221 yards all game. Combining passing, where they had 128 yards for the game, and rushing 93 yards per game of the game. They had 3.9 yards per play. Are you kidding me? Their third down efficiency was atrocious. They only completed two out of their 12 attempts on third down. They only had 13 first downs the whole game. And they only scored nine points throughout the whole game. And they didn't score a single touchdown throughout the whole game. All field goals, ladies and gentlemen. All field goals. This is probably, arguably, the worst NFL team we've ever seen. But let's let's get into the details of the game, the notes I took. So Mahomes, we all know how great Mahomes is. He continues his excellent, solid, excellent play for the season. He threw for 416 yards of the game, five touchdowns, completing 31 of his 42 passes. He had 21 touchdowns to one interception. He has 21 touchdowns to one interception on the year so far. The Jets, like I said before, they're the only one this team in the league right now left. And they have been outscored by their opponents through the first eight games of the season, 238 to 94. They allowed their opponents to score 238 points and themselves 94 so far this season. That is a 144-point differential. That that does that just emphasizes and really displays their lack of elite, lack of elite talent and a good coach. But they're horrible on the defensive end and just as bad on the offensive end. When you mix in lack of elite talent, terrible coaching, and guys who don't put full effort out there, you get the 2020 Jets. It's really, it's really sad what you're seeing, man. And when I was listening to DCR, Dante Canty Rothenberg, a ESPN morning show, Chris Canty, a former NFL player, and I think he's won a Super Bowl as well. He played 10 years in NFL. He said NFL players, they get paid millions of dollars and stuff like that, the coaching staff, etc. But what these 2020 Jets are doing, these players and the coaching staff included, they're basically stealing money. And I was dying, bro. I was like, damn, he really went there. I never thought of it like that. That's how bad this team is. That's how bad they are. He basically said they're stealing money from the league and stealing. And they're, yo, they're lucky there's no fans going to the games, bro. They'll be wasting their hard-earned money watching this pathetic team. I don't know how you would want to go spend money watching this pathetic team, bro. You're wasting your bread if you're a Jets fan. If you go to this game, you're going for the Chiefs. <laughs> it's really bad. So, McCole Hartman... He ran for a 30-yard touchdown to give the Chiefs a 7-0 lead early in the first. Travis Kelsey, who probably is the best tight end in the league. Sorry, George Kittle. But 
Travis Kelsey is a monster. He received 13 passes for 109 yards and scoring a touchdown. Mahomes threw a 36-yard laser touchdown to Tyree Kill late in the first to take a 14-3 lead on the Jets. The Chiefs' passing game was on point all game. And what was pretty much a glorified scrimmage, scrimmage, the way they dismantled and manhandled the Jets. He threw to Tyree Kill, Kelsey Hardman, Demarcus Robinson, all these guys who all scored touchdowns in the game. The Jets didn't score a touchdown all game like I emphasized earlier and mentioned. They only hit field goals. And it's just sad, bro. Their lack of elite weapons, poor coaching, and no offensive attack just really hurts them. And I feel bad kind of for Sam Darnold. We don't know if the dude can really play or not because he's been in the system his whole first three seasons of his career. We don't really know if he could be a star in the league or if he really is what he is, what we see right now. He can't, he can't play because the Jets have not put the talent and the organization and around him to succeed to show us if he's capable of being a good star quarterback in this league because he was drafted third overall. Third overall picks, you want to see them become a star in the league. You don't want to see them be average. You expect him to be a franchise quarterback, but we don't really know that because the offensive line is terrible too. Their coaching is horrible. They run the same basic plays every freaking game. They don't get creative. It's 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 just it's, it's, I feel bad for the man. We don't we're not really gonna know if he they need to trade him. I feel like he's asked for a trade, and there's been rumors out there that he might get traded to the 49ers for Jimmy Garoppolo, who we're gonna get into later. So Mahomes throws a deep dime beauty. To the Marcus Robinson, they make the score 20 to 9. And then he throws to Tyreek Hill again. And I think they're arguably the best they're the best wide receiver quarterback duo in the league. I love Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf. They're great too. But these two, they have shown they can win on the highest level. They won the Super Bowl last season when they've been down multiple games and they, they achieved it. DK Metcalf and Russell Wilson, they have yet to achieve that together. So we have to wait and see. And they to make the score thirty-five to nine and secure the easy win over the Jets. They are so atrocious offensively and defensively. They allowed they allow about four hundred yards a game for their opponent, and their opponents average around thirty points a game on the Jets. That is that for a professional team that is sorry. They are last in total yards a game in the entire league so far this season. They have only two thousand seventy-two yards for the season, and average a league low two hundred fifty-nine yards per game and have the league's lowest total scored points among all NFL teams, among teams that are terrible too, the Jaguars, Giants, Washington football team, Eagles, Cowboys, with 94. They're the only team to not have at least scored 100 total points to scored through week eight throughout the NFL season. Think about that. Eight games, they have not scored at least 100 total points combined all eight games. The only NFL team this season to do that. And there's a lot of bad NFL teams. The Bengals, too. That is pathetic. That is sorry, man. Oh, my God. I, my mind is just blown how, how sorry this team is. Through eight games, you don't have 100 points scored. And you're a professional team. Like, like DCR said, man. Like Chris Kennedy said, they're stealing money, bro. They're stealing money from the NFL. The coaching staff included. Adam Gase needs to get fired. I don't know what the Jets owners are thinking. The Johnson family, I think that's the owners of the Jets. They need to get rid of him. They need to get rid of him. But quickly get into the next game, 49ers and Seahawks. Russell Wilson, man, was a, a man amongst boys. Outstanding again. Completing 27 of his 37 passes for 261 yards for four touchdowns. DK Metcalf, who's 
quickly becoming, if not already, a top three wide receiver in the game. And he's one of the most talented wide receivers I've ever seen. He was a monster, catching 12 passes for 161 yards for two touchdowns, averaging 13 yards per, per every catch he was getting. And both teams, like I saw at the game and at the statistics show, they were very efficient on third down. The Seahawks completed 9 out of 15 attempts on third down efficiency and uh, on attempts. And then the 49ers completed 6 out of 13 attempts on third down. Uh, Wilson, he threw the Metcalf and he took it all the way to the house to give the Seahawks a 6 to nothing lead heading into the second quarter. And then Jermichael Hasty runs for a touchdown to get the 49ers on the board as well. Still lead them 7 to 6. But Wilson, he never, that boy never stops, man. He's always going to come back. He has that dog. He's a, he's humble, but he has that dog mentality. He wants to kill you. He found Metcalf for another touchdown to take a 13-7 lead. And the Seahawks, it was a, it's so good. really surprising how good the Seahawks are. And statistically, according to ESPN, NFL stats, they have the worst defense in the entire league. They're last. That's even among the Jets. Um, the Giants, all these horrible teams, and they're last. And despite that, they're what six and one on the season. That that's 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 pretty impressive. I ain't gonna lie. They're six and yeah, six and one on the season. And they have the worst, arguably the worst defense in the league. That's a testament to how great their offense is. Russell Wilson, and DK Metcalf. Um. They pressured Jimmy G all game, despite their defense not being that good. And Wilson, he Russell Wilson stayed composed throughout the whole game and found rookie DJ Dallas, hey DJ, <laughs> for a touchdown to push the lead further, twenty to seven. And then he found he finds David Moore to take a commanding twenty-seven seven lead in the third. And then the Seahawks hit a field goal to make it thirty to seven. But then Jarek McKinnon rushed for a touchdown for San Francisco to make it thirty to fourteen midway in the fourth. Nick Mullins was the backup quarterback because Jimmy Rockwell hurt his ankle. He re-aggravated, he re-aggravated his ankle sprain from a couple weeks ago. And then Nick Mullins comes in, throws to Ross Dwelly to the backup for George Kittle, who also went down. He broke his foot and will be out for about two months. Oh, my God. To make it 30-20, to 20, Seahawks. And then DJ Dallas rushes for a touchdown to secure safely or for Seattle to make it. 37-20 late in the fourth. Nick Mullins then throws the rookie Brandon Ayuk in the garbage time, in garbage time to make it 37-27. And it doesn't matter because at that point the game was over and they ended up losing to the Seahawks. And they dropped to 4-4 four and four in the season. Jimmy G, like I mentioned before, he had a high ankle sprain and he re-aggravated it. And now there's really a lot of questions. A lot of questions going out there about Jimmy G and his future. There's a lot of questions going out there that there could be a trade for Sam Darnold. They could move on from him. Maybe trade for Sam Darnold. I feel like Sam Darnold 49ers uniform. I feel like it'll give him more structure, a better, way better coach, and a better system. And we could probably he could realize his true potential there if he goes to San Francisco and gets traded. And there's been rumors out there that Jimmy G could probably go back to the Patriots, his old team where he played under Tom Brady. It's early in his career, and with Bel- Belichick, and that'll be good for them, especially if Cam Newton doesn't work out and he he's not the quarterback for the next few years, especially if he doesn't pick up his play because he's been playing really bad recently, really horrible. And if that doesn't pick up, then who knows? Because Jimmy G's future is up in question right now. It really, really is. And 
The total passing yards, Seahawks had 350 to San Francisco's 351. Oh, these are total yards, excuse me. But yeah, man, Seahawks took care of business, man. Took care of business. So let's go around other scores in the league real quick. Falcons beat the Panthers 25-17. to Vikings beat the Packers. Packers, man. What are y'all doing, bro? Aaron Rodgers, man, he needs help. They didn't make a trade for an elite wide receiver. He he needs help, man. He really does. They lost to the Vikings, who are two and five in the season. They're also horrible. They don't have an elite quarterback, Kyle um, Kyle Kirk Cousins. They don't really trust him. They they mostly ha- they don't throw the ball that much. They emphasize the running game with Dalvin Cook. They don't, and he he was a monster. He had 30, 30 carries on one hundred sixty three yards for three touchdowns. Talk about. Emphasizing the running game. Aaron Rodgers had no interceptions, three touchdowns for 291 yards, completing 27 of 41 passes. And they still lost by six points. That third quarter really killed them. They went scoreless, and the Minnesota put up 14 points on the board, even though they went scoreless in the fourth. That really killed them. But Aaron Rodgers, man, he needs help, man. I feel like the Green Bay organization has input. They've pretty much wasted his prime. How does this man, who's one of the top quarterbacks of all time, with his talent, his arm, and then only come over one Super Bowl? It speaks to the lack of, uh, of what's it called, putting talent on Aaron Rodgers and the lack of uh, uh, continuity within the franchise and organization to put the talent around him to succeed. This man should have at least two to three Super Bowls, four maybe, in his career. And it's, it's just, it's, it's pathetic. It's pathetic, man pathetic um but yeah I don't, I don't know what happened my thing got cut off but go well, anyways Bengals beat the Titans 31 to 20 Vikings beat the Packers surprisingly 20 to 22 Falcons beat the Panthers 25 to 17 Colts uh, I don't know if I said it before they had a demanding commanding second and fourth quarter 20 points in the second, 21 in the fourth to beat the Lions, 41 to 21. Phillip Rivers looked amazing, 262 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, completing 23 of his 33 passes. Matthew Stafford is another example of of great talent, but on a poor franchise. Uh, Dolphins, Tua Tagovailoa in his first NFL start. Uh, he beat the Rams, even though they had. More the Rams had more total yards in the game, 471 to 145, more passing yards, 340 to 90, and more rushing yards, 131 to 55 on the Dolphins. And they still lost the game by 11 points because Jared Goff had two costly interceptions and they had two fumbles in the game. And the third down efficiency for both teams were not good. Seven seven out of 17 attempts for the Rams and three out of 12 attempts for the Dolphins. But the Dolphins come up victorious, even though Total Love was very pedestrian, only doing for 93 yards and one touchdown. Of clean 12 is 22 passes. He'll get better with more reps and over time. So I'm not going to go put too much stock into one game. But Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert have been looking amazing. And everybody was saying Tua Tagovailoa was the best quarterback prospect before he got hurt. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Even though Jared Goff threw for 355 yards, one touchdown, 35-61 completion of his passes. But he also had two costly interceptions. Um... Chargers lost to the Broncos 31-30. Saints beat the Bears 26-23. Eagles beat the divisional rivals Cowboys 23-9. Carson Wentz 
He looked average. He only threw for 123 yards, had two touchdowns, along with two interceptions, completing 15 to 27 passes. They now three wins, four losses, and one tie of the season. Cowboys fall to two and six and continue to show their disappointment and discontinuity of their team throughout this as we continue to go on throughout the season. Buccaneers beat the Giants 25-23 on Monday Night Football. Tom Brady will look good again. Had two touchdowns, completing 20 base, 40 passes, 279 yards. Daniel Jones had 256 yards, completing 25 base, 41 passes, two touchdowns with two interceptions. Uh, both teams were not very good in third down efficiency. The Buccaneers completed 4 out of 12 of their attempts. The Giants 4 out of 11. Uh, the Buccaneers had 344 total yards to the Giants for 357. But at the end of the day, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers took care of business and defeated the Giants 25 to 23. And it's going to be interesting to see how much better their offensive attack is going to get with the addition of Antonio Brown, I think, coming next week. Coming next week. When they play the Saints, I think. I think he's supposed to, they said week nine, so we'll see. But we'll see, man. They're going to be dangerous. But yeah, so the, the Browns, when they play a good team or a solid team, they, they don't look as good. Baker Mayfield, he's uh, how you a first overall pick. And I, don't, I don't know. He had no touchdowns, no interceptions, but he only threw for 122 yards, completing 12 of 25 passes. They're 5 and 3 on the season. They fall to now. And the Raiders improved to four and three in the season. Derek Carr, he had a very pedestrian game too. 112 yards thrown for 50, clean 15 of 24 passes for one touchdown. But man, when you Baker Mayfield, he looked good against the Bengals, but Bengals were one of the worst teams in the league. He's supposed to look good, and he's looked pretty good against Bengals around the square because they've always been bad. <laughs> but when he plays the elite teams or the solid teams, he don't look the same. And it's, I don't know, like, he's just, I don't, I, don't, I don't see the, I don't, I don't ever see him being a star. I don't get, like, when you're a quarterback, you need something that stands out about you, especially when you're a first overall pick. He didn't have elite size coming to the draft, coming to the NFL. He doesn't have a great, I mean, he has a good arm. But I don't, I don't ever hear anyone saying he has a crazy arm like a Mahomes or a rocket arm like Justin Herbert. He, um, he doesn't have elite smarts. Like a Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers. Um, he doesn't have elite athleticism or size to go to what because that's that's what that's what stands out about a quarterback prospect when you go number one. It's your either you got a rocket arm, you got great size, like six like a Trevor Lawrence six six quarterback, six five around that six four quarterback. Or you have elite athleticism like a Lamar Jackson who could run the hell or Deshaun Watson. Or you have great accuracy throwing the football as well with a with a rocket arm like uh Deshaun Watson and uh, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Aaron Rodgers. Like those guys, that's what stands out about those guys. They had all those qualities. Not all of them, I don't think any of those guys I just named were first overall picks. But they have proven themselves to become legends of the game like or even future Hall of Famers. Patrick Mahomes, to me, is already a legend of the game. Lamar Jackson, he's on his way there. He needs to continue to improve. I remember I talk about him right now, but guys like that, those are, those are the type of quarterback prospects you look at in a number one overall pick. And Baker Mayfield, to me, doesn't really check off any of those, any of those boxes. But going on to the last game of the, I want to talk about week eight, is uh, Steelers and Ravens, man. 
I don't know what's been happening with Lamar Jackson this season. He hasn't looked the same. He hasn't looked like the, the dynamic Lamar Jackson we saw from last season. He hasn't been throwing the ball that well. He threw for 208 yards, completing 13 of 28 passes. He had two touchdowns, both two interceptions. And I feel like they even said, when I was listening to Undisputed with Shannon Sharp, Skip Bayless, and even ESPN First Take with Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman, they said, He's he's pretty good against most teams in the NFL, but when he plays elite teams, especially in his division, he doesn't he doesn't show up for big games. And it's starting to he's starting to have a track record of it. Yes, his in the playoffs last season and his rookie season. He choked. He did horrible. Both games. The rookie season I might give him a pass because it was rookie season and he wasn't a starter, but his MVP season last year, him and his team choked flat out. I was watching that game against Titans. They choked hard in that game. They should have won that game easily. They were the favorites. They pretty much went undefeated the whole season. They 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 were they were oh I don't know how they I wanted to see a Lamar Jackson Patrick Mahomes showdown in the AFC championship game. I think they're in the AFC yeah, and they choked. Like like bro, he needs to improve his passing game. His his passing in the pocket has to get better. You can't rely on the running game for your whole career. You're going to get hurt, and you're not going to last long. He needs to improve his decision-making and his passing game. I know he's still young. He's only 23 years old, so he still has time. He's still a very young quarterback. He's still learning. And they need to put more elite um, weapons around him in the wide receiving game. They need, to, they need to make some trades, I feel, to help him realize his full potential. But anyways, the Steelers took care of business. They're now improved to 7-0 in the season while the Ravens dropped to 5-2. They're still they're only they're still the only undefeated team left in the NFL. Big Ben had 182 yards thrown for two touchdowns, completing 20 with 32 passes. James O'Connor had 15 carries, rushing for 47 yards for one touchdown. And they just did their thing, man. They but even though the Ravens have way more total yards, 457-221, they the Steelers took care of business, man. Ravens turnovers cost them a game. It's really interesting how a lot of these games, when I look at their stats, totals the games, teams that have way more total yards and stuff, passing and rushing, it's the turnovers that kill these teams that end up losing. Like the Ravens had more total yards cost the board, yards per play, rushing, passing, everything, but they lost the game by four points. All because they had two fumbles and two interceptions thrown by Lamar Jackson. And it's mainly Lamar Jackson that cost him this game. Just like Cam Newton, Patriots cost the Patriots against the Bills. It's 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 crazy, man. And Cam Newton, he only had 174 yards thrown, completing 15 of his 25 passes, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Josh Allen, one interception for 154 yards on 11-18 passes. And Cam Newton, he, this Patriots team, has not looked good. Bill Belichick, if he were saying he's getting exposed now, looking like an average coach without Tom Brady, because a team that's been compromised by COVID, couldn't practice for weeks, he has a lack of talent to begin with. His main quarterback had COVID, he was out for a week or two, and he hasn't looked the same since, and you're going to blame it on Bill Belichick for his team's struggles. I don't think that's entirely fair to Bill Belichick, especially with his track record in his career. And Cam Newton just needs to play better, man. He cost him a game with that costly fumble. 
they had a chance, but they ended up losing twenty four to twenty one. They dropped a two and five in the season while the Bills are six and two in the season now and they improved to. But the Bills, the first couple of weeks of the season they were looking amazing, like Super Bowl contenders, maybe, a playoff contender. But last couple of weeks against lack of against teams that are not that good, atrocious Jets, this Patriots team and so on and so forth. They have let these teams be in the game when they should really be blowing out these teams. The Patriots don't have elite offensive weapons to begin with. They really don't. They should they should have blown them out. Like their defense is not the same either. Stephon Steph Stephon um Stephen Gilmore is out, one of the best defensive players in the entire uh NFL. And they only won by three points. And they don't have elite wide receivers to begin with to have an elite offensive attack. So I don't know. The Bills, they, they have some questions to me. Even though their record's six and two, they, there's still some questions there. But yeah. Those are the NFL scores in week week eight and my week eight NFL takeaways. I just want to get it done. Cause I want to catch up. We able to catch up and be able to just focus on week nine. So you have the Packers and 49ers playing. You have the Texans and Jaguars. Giants at Washington football team. Ravens and Colts. That should be a that should be an interesting one. Phillip Rivers versus Lamar Jackson. Colts have been one of the most underrated teams, good teams in the league this season. They're five and two. Both teams are five and two in the season. Lions versus Vikings, Bears, Titans, Panthers and Chiefs, Seahawks and Bills. I think Seahawks got that game. Broncos and Falcons. I'm gonna choose the Falcons. Raiders and Chargers. I'm gonna choose the Raiders. Dolphins, Cardinals. I got Cardinals in that one. Steelers, Cowboys, Steelers easily. Saints, Buccaneers. I got Buccaneers, Tom Brady. They've been playing really, really well lately. Patriots and Jets. Cam Newton should really, really beat the Jets. There's no reason the Patriots should lose to the Jets. If they do, they'll get destroyed in the media. Packers, 49ers. I got the Packers. But yeah, the Packers and the 49ers. George Kittle's out with a broken uh, foot. He'll be out for two months. So basically for the remainder of the season. And it's just sad to see, man. This 49ers team that made the Super Bowl last season and was close to winning the Super Bowl until Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs came alive in the second half with clutch plays. <sighs> Jimmy Garoppolo is out again with a high ankle sprain, reaggravating his ankle injury, and who knows, he might have ankle surgery. George Kittle with a broken foot out two months, out probably for the rest of the season. Raheem Mostert, had, I think he tore his MCL. I think he's out for the rest of the season. Um... Nick Bosa, a, a superstar defensive and, and rusher, rookie last year. Made all defensive team run, I think, defensive rookie of the year. Towards ACL, week two of the season, out for the rest of the season. And a multitude of other guys on the team. They lost so much of the star players, their main core. And it's just sad to see, man. This team, it shows you, like, when you make it to the Super Bowl, you want to take full advantage and opportunity of it because... You're not promised to ever get back there again, man. It's not easy. It's hard. NFL grueling NFL season. You're getting hit hard by 300-pound, 250-pound grown men coming at you. You're getting hard hits in the head, knees, everywhere. It shows you when you get to the Super Bowl, you want to try to win that Super Bowl. Because you might, you're not promised to ever get there again, man. And this 49ers team, I feel like, is an example of that. The injuries... You don't know what's going to happen in the future. It might be trades. Someone's going to get injured. You know, coach or coaching chains. You don't know. That's why you just got to take full advantage of it, man. But, yeah, these are my week week eight NFL takeaways. I don't know if I repeated anything because I think I cut off. But, yeah, these are my week eight NFL takeaways. And 
let's let's get on with the rest of the show. My next up, I'm gonna quickly talk about Trevor Lawrence contracting coronavirus and Justin Turner contracting coronavirus after the Dodgers win the World Series. So don't go anywhere. Devin, did you know GEICO is now offering an extra 15% credit on car and motorcycle policies? Okay. That's 15% on top of what GEICO could already save you. So what are you waiting for? DJ Khaled to be your motivational coach? Yo, Devin, remember the brush in a circle motion. Thank you, DJ Khaled. Tiny circles, Devin. Do another one. Another one. Is this good? Put in that word, Devin. Don't give up. Geico. Save an extra 15% when you switch by October 7th. Don't play yourself. Hit subscribe to play more great Geico videos. And don't forget to share. So, ladies and gentlemen, the Dodgers won, win the World, won this World Series the uh, 27th of October, 3-1. Uh, to one to take the World Series from the Rays and win their first World Series since 1988. 32 years in the making, man. And the city of L.A. was going crazy. Crazy. And Lakers won a championship the same season, especially with no, in the wake of the death of Kobe Bryant this in January. Dodgers won a championship. The city of L.A. is screaming. I know the streets are kind of... I know they're kind of mad. They can't fully go crazy for the, their town, man, because COVID... But the city of L.A. is up right now. But then after the World Series, there was a, there was um COVID, the COVID-19 test came out for the MLB. And it's kind of a black mark for them. Uh, he was on Justin Turner, the third baseman for the Dodgers. They can't, the toast result came out positive after the fact the game concluded. And the media, on the radio, ESPN, Undisputed, everyone was talking about it. Why? Did they start the game before knowing if all the test results for COVID-19? Why did they start the game if they um, didn't have all the results yet? Because someone tested positive, Justin Turner. And then after the World Series, after they won, they let the man, the security, they were supposed to, Justin Turner, he was supposed to stay in. They initially told him to stay in and stay away from the field because he tested positive for COVID-19. And the security guards eventually let him out and go celebrate with his team. And he, he was wearing a mask at first and eventually he took it off. And then they were ripping him because what's been going on in society, so many people dying from this virus, like literally two, over 200,000 people have died from this virus in America alone, let alone millions worldwide. And a dude comes out on the field. Okay. And you can't, and you, and you can't, you, you got to put some blame on him because he, he's a grown man. He should know better. He should know how serious the circumstances are and what's been going on in our country. But in that moment, when you won the world championship, through all the turmoil, what's been going on this year, and you've been with your team, and it, and it, and it probably, he probably had it the whole day because he tested positive. So his team was probably there with him the whole day anyways. But still, his families, you don't want his family members to get it, his wives, his kids. 
that's why people were getting crazy over it. And then again, you can't just blame him. You got to blame the organization too, the Dodgers. They probably knew about it and they didn't say anything. And how you, you got to blame the security guards too for letting him out on the field as well. And then you also got to blame the MLB, the entire league. How do you let this happen? How do you not have all the testing results back before the start of the game? Like, come on, man. And there's so many, there was multiple chances they could have took him out. They could have took him out during the game while he was playing or while he was subbed out. They could have prevented him from coming on the field. They could have got the testing results even before the game started. Like, there's so many missteps and black marks that this league has had. With the and I feel like this is, I don't know if they're gonna. They might suspend him early for next season. I don't think he's gonna care. He got a world championship. Who who who? But how are you gonna? You can't fully put the blame on him, even though he's part of the reason. Part he has some blame to be thrown on him as well. But when you're in that moment, when in World Series, a championship with your guys that you've been through blood, sweat, and tears with, you're not thinking rationally. Oh, I got a virus. I gotta protect myself. I gotta protect others from me. I'm not gonna go out there after you just won a championship in front of your fans for the city of LA. You're not gonna think, oh, I want, I'm gonna stay away from everybody to protect them. No, you wanna go celebrate. You were a part of it. You were the part of the reason why they won. And yeah, you got, you can't just blame. I mean, he's part of the reason of the blame, but you, you can't, you can't just blame him, man. And MLB has, they, they gotta take a big blame from this too, cause they could have prevented it, man. They could have prevented it. Like the NBA, you didn't see this happen. The NBA took drastic measures, drastic measures over COVID-19 testing, having all the results before players were in the game. If someone tested positive, they were quarantined and stuff like that. Luckily, during the bubble, no player tested positive. The NBA did a tremendous job. NHL did a tremendous job, too, with their bubble, a lot their testing protocol and policy and stuff like that. NFL has had a lot of COVID-19 positive tests and rescheduling of games and stuff, but they even handled it better than MLB, in my opinion. MLB has a lot of black marks from this situation to the, the controversial Astros cheating, um, sign-stealing situation last year throughout the world, the past from 2017 to 2019 when they were cheating, and the commissioner did, did a bit. He didn't freaking punish them at all. And the commissioner was getting booed by the fans, and respectfully so. I think um, he's Rob Manfred is probably the worst commissioner in sports right now. Um, Roger Goodell, he gets a lot of flack, but even he's better than um, Rob Manfred for the MLB. Roger Goodell, NFL commissioner, he I think he's even better commissioner than um, Rob Manfred. And to me, the best um, sports commissioner right now is no, no, not even a debate. Adam Silver at NBA is not even close. What he does, listening to players. Um, he, he, he values, um, uh, protection of his players over, he values that over money, money gain and stuff like that. That's why I think he's the best commissioner in sports. But yeah, that whole Justin Turner situation, it's just very unfortunate and another black mark for the MLB. We'll get into more coronavirus news. Um, superstar quarterback of Clemson, Trevor Lawrence and projected number one pick in the 2021 NFL draft. Also tested positive for COVID nineteen, and and it's uh, man, it's uh, man, 
this year is just this year. I'm just I'm just tired of seeing all the COVID pos uh, positive tests, and, and I'm, I just hope everybody gets through it. But he said, uh, Trevor Lawrence said he's he's experiencing rel relatively mild symptoms from the COVID novel coronavirus, and he's a young kid, great shape, so this shouldn't really affect him too severely. And he should be back on the field in no time. Um, NFL executives ex expect him to enter the NFL draft, even though there's been rumors out there that Trevor Lawrence said he might even stay another year in college. But that's that's all. I'm gonna be realistic. The dude's about to finish college in three years. What's the point of coming back? There's no there's no um value. There's no gain you're gonna get from coming back. You're just gonna get more exposed. Your weaknesses are gonna get exposed more. By having having another extra year of film on you that professional professional teams could nitpick, and take bits and pieces of your game and nitpick, and say, oh, he's not this good at this. Oh, we oh we thought he was good at this, but he's really not. Like, what's the point of coming another year and showing, yeah, nitpicked even more, when you're already projected a lot to be number one. Um, they many NFL executives said they'll be shocked if he went back to Clemson. They said you have a better chance of winning the Boston Mar Marathon than he does of going back to school. <laughs> uh, he said he Trevor Lawrence said he hasn't ruled out returning to Clemson for his senior year instead of going pro. And then uh, Dabo Sweeney, the coach of Clemson, uh, the Clemson football team, who also coached the great Deshaun Watson, said two days later that he would be surprised if Lawrence, but I think the one pick twenty twenty one draft, came back to the Tigers next year. Uh, he began interviewing potential agents for his NFL career in March according to leaked sources, and has been interviewing marketing agents. He's expected to graduate with a, bar a bachelor's degree in marketing in December, and he is 31-1 as a starter at Clemson and is a contender for the Heisman Trophy this season, even though he has started losing steam on that trophy. Um, he did not play in Saturday's victory against Boston College after testing positive for COVID-19 this past week and also will miss the game against their showdown with Notre Dame. He tested positive for COVID-19 last Wednesday, and they announced it Thursday that he tested positive, meaning he has to isolate himself for at least 10 days per the ACC medical advisory, advisory group protocols. And as part of the return to play protocols, he has to pass a series of cardiac examinations. And Sweeney said uh, he has to go going through all the protocols will not allow him to be back in time for next Saturday. So he's going to miss next Saturday as well. But either way, even if he comes back or not, he has shown enough to be the number one pick in the draft. It's not even close, so I, I don't I don't really expect anything to drop drop his stock too much. Um I, I don't expect anything to do that. The Jets, if they get the number one draft pick, um Trevor Lawrence to me, they, they I think they're gonna draft him, even if he says, I don't wanna go there. Cause I think the Jets, in my honest opinion, they're gonna trade um Sam Darnold. They wanna move on. It's crazy how they want to move on from him. They, they never put the right pieces around him to succeed so he could realize his true potential and show us what he really is capable of. But at the end of the day, NFL is a business. So, and you know, a lot of people, they don't have a lot of patience. They, don't, they, they, they like to see guys come out right out the gate within the first two, three years and kill the game, especially if you're a quarterback. And Sam Darnold, we don't really know because he never has been put in a situation with a functional franchise and a good, solid coach to get the best out of him and see what he's and elite weapons around him, at least solid weapons, so we can see what he's capable of. 
But yeah, Trevor Lawrence contracted the coronavirus, and we'll see if he enters the draft, man. Because if he doesn't, that would be a whole game changer on this year's draft. And this year's draft's not really talked about as a very, very strong draft either. So he's pretty much the domino effect of this draft and the franchise changer in this draft. Next up, we're going to get into some NBA news. The Rockets got a new head coach. Sixers assigned Dale Morey as, as their new GM. And we're going to get into more. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. So after firing Mike D'Antoni, we're going to get into later. The Rockets hired a former Dallas Mavericks assistant now, Steven Silas, to the, become the head coach. Franchise's next head coach, sources told ESPN. He agreed to a four-year contract. Wednesday, and a formal announcement is expected very soon. Uh, Mavericks owner Mark Cuban congratulated Silas on Twitter. Congrats, Coach Silas. And I uh, and there's been stories out there. It's going it's to be a whole new system now. There's been rumors out there that James Harden might get traded to the Sixers. And I don't know. I don't know. Traded for who? Ben Simmons? Because you're going to have to put a star in there to get James Harden if you're going to trade. They're not just going to trade you, James Harden. You, they get James Harden, and then they get like just draft picks and a solid starter. No. Or maybe even for Joel Embiid. Who knows? It's going to be interesting to see. But yeah, who replaced Mike D'Antoni, who left after his contract expired at the end of the season. Um, He sold the Rockets on his off- offensive ingen- ingenuity, whatever you, know, you say it. And uh, he has a strong family history and 20, se- 20 seasons as an NBA assistant under highly regarded head coaches, such as with Carlisle and Steve Clifford. He has coached many elite guards from Luka Doncic, Stephen Curry, and Kimball Walker. And he's expected to serve him and as expected to serve him well with the Rockets, shaping his own system around the dynamic backcourt of James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Um where Carlisle where Carlisle said uh he's a great hire for the Rockets. Steven did a great job for us here in Dallas, helping us get back to the playoffs. He's thrilled for him and his family. Um, Silas is the son of former NBA player and coach Paul Silas, and he worked for his father early in his career with Charlotte. They become the fifth father-son combination to be NBA head coaches. Silas is re- relatively young for a head coach. He's 47 and will be the first hire of new Rockets general manager, um, Raphael Stone, who recently replaced Daryl Morey. They hope to have John Lucas return to the coaching staff under Silas, sources told ESPN's Tim McMenamin. Um, Lucas was a finalist for the head coaching job and is immensely respected throughout the organization from ownership to the locker room. Lucas serves as director of player development in Houston under D'Antoni and could have a pro- more prominent role under Silas. I feel like Silas, he has, has built a strong reputation over the league being an assistant coach 20 years, so he has some experience being a coach. He's even-tempered and he's pretty much likable throughout the league. He's an Ivy League graduate, and he attended Brown University. It's going to be interesting to see what type of system they put in Houston now with Mike D'Antoni being gone. I feel like they can emphasize um, shooting mid-range numbers more, get into the paint, play harder on defense, not always shooting so many threes, not live and die by the three. I feel like if – I think they – I hope they don't change James Harden because I feel like that will be a big mistake. But if if they – Oh, if they if they if they get the system right, which I think he's gonna implement a, a different and unique system that they haven't seen in a while with this squad, and James Harden hasn't seen probably since his McHale days when he was Kevin McHale. 
he's going to feel like he's going to shoot more mid-range jumpers. Now he's not always going to shoot threes and just go in the paint. He's going to shoot more mid-range jumpers. We haven't really, I haven't really seen James Harden shoot a mid-range jumper in a couple of years, honestly. It's either at the free throw line, the paint, or three. That's it. But yeah, man, Steven Salas is new head coach of the Houston Rockets, and it's going to be interesting to see what he can do with this dynamic duo in Russell Westbrook and James Harden if neither one of them gets traded. Or if they, James Harden does end up getting traded, who they get and what he can do with those pieces. Daryl Morey, former GM of the Houston Rockets, is now the GM of the Philadelphia 76ers. After recently stepping down from the Houston Rockets not too long ago, he has signed a deal with the Philadelphia 76ers to become the first time president of basketball operations of the Sixers. He expressed excitement about the championship potential of a roster built around all-stars Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. And one thing I was listening to the other day, Dale Murray, he likes having teams that have at least two stars on it. If you look at his track record, think about it. He came in 07 on the Rockets, right? They had McGrady and Yao Ming, two Hall of Famers, two stars of the league at the time. Then... He had James Harden, and when James Harden came, he added Dwight Howard. And then Dwight Howard left, he traded, he got to Chris Paul with James Harden. And then when Chris Paul left, he traded for Russell Westbrook. So he's always had two stars on his rosters, at least. And he likes kind of likes having that system of two stars and surrounding with other pieces around them to help win a championship. He said, he said, and I and I quote, my goal is to win a championship. So whatever gets us there is what we'll do. More we said during the virtual news conference, which officially announced his hiring. But I would say to have two star plus players in 24 and 26 years old. That is why I couldn't get Doc Rivers to come interview in Houston. He stated, uh, he saw this roster and he said, it's amazing. And uh, sorry, I couldn't fly to Houston to meet with you, Daryl. And then obviously I end up here a couple of weeks later. It was pretty cool. So that's really interesting how things worked out. Um, Like I said, last month, uh, Maury agreed to leave the Houston Rockets where he had run the team's basketball operations for more than a decade. At the time, he said he was planning to take a gap year, but he didn't stay true to his word. <laughs> Well, Monday, he found himself sitting alongside Rivers, who was hired as the coach of the Sixers last month after he left the Clippers, who disappointed this season. General Manager, General Manager Elton Brand, who Maury is now head of on the organizational depth chart, and owner Josh Harris. Um, Maury said, I'm a pretty competitive guy, but that was my plan. My wife was actually urging me to do that. But Elton and Doc and Josh were relentless, relentless just relentless as soon as I stepped away. Frankly, the more you look at what Elton has put together on this roster with Joel and Ben as the headliners, but with great players, Al Horford, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, some of the younger players brought in last year, I'm with Doc. In the span of a month, the Sixers had landed one of the best and most respected coaches and executives in the NBA, in Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers. Harris said, Tobias Harris said in both cases, when he and the rest of the Sixers' ownership had an opportunity to pursue both men, they had it was a no-brainer. So, the Sixers had high high expectations last season, but they fell very short this season. They were hindered by injuries to Ben Simmons in the bubble in Florida, and Bede looked out of shape. The fit with Horford, Horford and Bede was they were struggling to fit together. Um, and Bede and Simmons are both guys 
one in Ben Simmons with his lack of a jump shot. It's going to be interesting to see. Because we've been saying it for years now. Can he develop a jump shot? If he doesn't develop a jump shot, they're never going to win a championship. And Embiid needs to get in shape. It's going to be interesting to see how Doc Rivers really pushes these stars, especially after being um, getting criticized for not being more hard on the stars than Kawhi and Paul George when he was on the Clippers. So it'll be interesting to see. And and I'm very curious to see how he does that. Is he going to push Embiid to get in top shape for a season? And be so he could be the the total monster that he's capable of being, and he's gonna push Ben Simmons to finally shoot the damn ball like he did with Rondo in Boston. But at least Rondo was willing to shoot, even though he couldn't shoot well. But because Simmons to me is basically a bigger Rondo, but yeah. Um, they they don't have the three point shooting. I feel like the like more we had with the Rockets when he was building that team. Of that pace, that fast pace, seven second less offense with Mike D'Antoni, but because they can't do that with Embiid. Embiid's big, a big a traditional, more of a traditional big. He's not like AD. He can't run all day. I don't feel like so. I feel like they're gonna have to take a different approach and have a different system that caters to their best players. There's still questions around the team, even though they're remain about the fit with Embiid and Simmons. They're gonna have to put shooting around this team, whether from the draft or from free agency or even a trade. But I feel like with Maury as a GM, and I, there's been rumors out there he's trying to get James Harden, his superstar in Houston that he acquired from trade in 2012. And I'll be really, 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 really interested to see. Like, I, 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 it'll be fascinating if, if he pulls that off. Um, It's going to be really a challenge for him to make full use of this roster and put the pieces around them. That fit best with this team, especially with a uh, NBA doesn't know when they're gonna start yet, because there's been rumors out there now. December twenty second is either December twenty second they're gonna start with a seventy two game season, and they'll have a six day All Star break and all stuff like that. The NBA draft will still be November eighteenth, and we're gonna have a draft show soon where I'm gonna do my mock draft for like the lottery portion of the draft and so or so on. Talk about the top prospects, probably sometime next week. But and then there's also been. Either December 22nd or January 18th around Martin Luther King Day. It will be 50 games. So if it starts December 22nd, it'll be 72 games. And if it's around Martin Luther King Day, January 17th, 18th, it'll be 50 games and playoffs and, you know, so on and so forth. Because they want to try to get things back to normal as possible for the following season, 2021-22, back to normalized schedule. You know what I mean? And they want to try to finish the season before the Olympics start, which start in late July because the players... Want to be part of that, and basketball is very, a very integral part in the Olympics. So yeah, it's gonna be. I can't wait to see what Daryl Morey does with his franchise. It's gonna be fascinating, and I'm very curious to see what he does with the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers, with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons as the stars, Doc Rivers as the head coach, and what pieces he puts around them, and what trades if he trades for James Harden. If they do get James Harden, if they get a different superstar, and what it is need shooters. They need shooters. Me personally, they need shooters on this team. I feel like they when they lost JJ Redick, they lost a big piece of their team because he provided so much spacing for them. Ben Simmons to operate, drive to the paint, but I'm drawing B to post up to do his thing, and so on and so forth. So it's gonna be interesting to see what he ultimately makes up with this roster going to the 2020-21 season, and what he does beyond that. And the last thing I want to talk about is uh Mike D'Antoni hired as assistant coach for the Brooklyn Nets. So they now they hired Steve Nash as their head coach. 
They've hired Mar Sotomayor as player development. And they hired now Mike D'Antoni as assistant coach. So you basically have a seven seconds or less mid-2000s Phoenix Suns reunion <laughs> on this squad. And, they, and it's I can't wait to see what this squad does. They have a lot of talent on this team. Mike D'Antoni and Steve Nash coaching offensive geniuses and Marcel Murray developing. I feel like he could be a key part in Jared Allen's development because he's a young, athletic, big, like Marcel Meyer was. So I want to see how he develops with Marcel Meyer there to help him. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant in that system and D'Antoni and Steve Nash. I feel like Steve Nash is one of the greatest minds of the game. I feel like he's, he get, he's the most disrespected MVP of all time. He's, 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 he has one of the best IQs I've ever seen. And a guy who knows who really knows what he's talking about when he talks about being in basketball. I feel like he's going to put Kyrie in certain spots to make him really successful and make him play at the high level he was playing at when he was playing with LeBron in Cleveland. And I want to see Kyrie get back to that level or even higher, elevate his game. I want to see him win again. I feel like him and KD can average at least, both of them, 25 to 30 points per game next season. No joke. In that system, Steve Nash as your coach and Mike D'Antoni assistant coach, He's a he's I don't might call him Mike Antony because he has no defense in his coaching. He doesn't care about the defensive end, but offensively, he's a genius. You can't fault the man offensively. His track record offensively is stuff of legend in the NBA. So Mike D'Antoni and Steve Nash, Marcel Meyer, and they hired Ime Udoka also as well. And it's going I can't wait to see what this next team is made of. Kevin Durant come back healthy, Kyrie Irving come back off shoulder surgery. Karis LeVert, who is a bucket, who showed him in the playoffs, he could get average 20 to 23 a game. Um, Santos Ben Dinwin, he's another 20-point-per-game scorer. Um, Terry Allen's a rim protector and a great rebounder, energy guy, could run the rim. A guy you could have in pick-and-roll action, pick-and-roll pick and action with Kyrie Irving, throw lobs to DeAndre Jordan, too. You know he's getting older, another great rim runner, runner um, shot blocker and rebounder for your squad. And... If Joe, if Joe Harris, I think he's a free agent after this season, I think in free agency this year, if they sign him back, get him back, that's another shooter, another guy who can give you around 12 to 15 points a game and give spacing for guys like Kyrie and Kevin Durant to do their thing. So, yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see what the Brooklyn Nets do this season because they're a favorite to come out the East next season, and I can't wait to see what Mike D'Antoni and Steve Nash do with this group of guys with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in the Eastern Conference. But we get to this portion of the show. Thank you guys for listening. It's been your boy DJ Hamilton. Till next time.